yeah, what do we do about that? What do we do when someone isn't using these things to make society better? What are we doing when people are, are trying just to become hyper seductive super manipulators to gain increasing levels of power? How's it going, everybody? My name is Stephen Parton, and you are listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture from the individual to society at large. Today, we have one of my favorite comedians on the planet, Duncan Trussell, who many of you might recognize from his frequent appearances on the Joe Rogan podcast on Drunk History, or from his latest Netflix show, The Midnight Gospel. He also has his own very popular podcast, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour, which not only provides an abundance of thought-provoking conversations, but Duncan also creates a new satirical song for nearly every episode, and I think they probably make me laugh more than any other podcast I've ever listened to. So if you want a nice mix of comedy and conversation, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour is a good place to do that. Now, before we jump into it, I do want to give you a quick reminder that we are currently offering two free weeks of premium membership at Singularity for podcast listeners, and we're also accepting applications for our upcoming executive program, which takes place from November 7th to the 11th in Silicon Valley. Check the episode description for links to both of those if either of them would be something that you are interested in. Now, let's waste no more time. Let's go ahead and get into it. Everybody, please welcome to the feedback loop, Duncan Trussell. Well, what originally attracted me to you in this conversation, I mean, I've been a big fan for a long time, but this this particular timing happened because you mentioned on Rogan's podcast that you were rereading The Singularity is Near by Kurtzwell. Yes, yes. What was it that made you want to jump back into that? Well, okay. So we, we just uh, bought a house and we're moving in. And so, you know, you're putting books on the shelf and I, I, that is a book that I love. And so I was like, Oh, I'll just revisit. It's been years since I looked at it. And when I was reading it, some of the predictions that he was making in there were just predictions. And so it was really cool reading it now. It's like, Oh, fuck. Especially the RNA stuff, you know, like seeing that happening. uh, It was really weird and fun to see that, you know, he continues to be right on with a lot of a lot of his calls. Does it make you feel optimistic or uh, are you worried about the trajectory it's been going since that book? You know, I, I, I think that worrying about the trajectory, this is what the last my the last time I was flipping through, I just realized that it's like being worried about the seasons or something like that. You can be worried about it, but it, you know, I think for for some reason I had, when I was thinking about his predictions and his theories, for some reason I had somehow gotten into my head that there was some choice, that there was a way to stop it. That Mm -hmm. if humanity decided that they didn't want to get on the singularity express they could just get off and and i think that was a complete misunderstanding of what he was saying he's he's talking about something that seems to be more of a much deeper than is within our control 
And that's real, that I'm, that always helps me relax when you realize like, oh, there's not nothing we can really do about it except follow Timothy Leary's advice and lift up our legs and float downstream. Cause what are you going to do? Like how would, how, how is humanity going to stop whatever this particular uh, acceleration is? I don't know that there's a way to do it as long as there's market pressure out there. Yeah. I mean, you bought the ticket you can only take the right at this point. right? Yeah. Do you think that's a pretty natural progression then um, for humanity? Like one of the things I find most fascinating about you is how you reconcile some very interdisciplinary fields that I don't see a lot of people mix, like shamanism and magic with a K, you know, like Aleister Crowley type magic with Buddhism, but also with this really deep love of the rawness of human, the human spirit mixed with transhumanism, which is kind of negating that in a way, like how, how do all these things mix together in your mind or what's the relationship there? I don't think transhumanism necessarily negates the human spirit. I think that's a misunderstanding of transhumanism. And I think when like I, I have it on my phone somewhere, Kurzweil has a wonderful definition of human beings. I wish I'd memorize it, but it's something along the lines of we're, we, what we like, because one of the worries people have when it comes to transhumanism is that it is going to redefine us to the point of being no longer human. That's the idea. And, and I guess that's where the anti-spiritualism stuff goes along with it. And th- so when people think that, I understand why they think that, but Kurzweil, I think answers that criticism with a great definition of what human beings are, which is that we overcome boundaries. We're boundary overcoming things. So where there's something that is stopping us, we figure out a a way around it, over it, through it, or a way to transform ourselves to achieve whatever the particular overcoming may be. And so as long as that spirit is within us, regardless of our particular external form, we would still be by at least his definition, human being. So I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And I think that is one of the most spiritual definitions of humanity that I could think of. You know, it's, we're, we're talking about the, um, you know, the creative outflow of consciousness into time. And right now it looks like us, but to answer the question regarding like it being natural, if you look back at all the other periods of DNA's expression into reality, every, like these periods, one period versus the other versus the other, it's apocalyptic. I mean, whatever, you know, the, if you look at like the lemur creatures or whatever, we apparently are all related to versus us now. And you told those lemur creatures, look, this is what you're going to turn into. They would be like, we're fucked. Yeah. Are you kidding? We're doomed. Well, how do we stop this? You know? So uh, I think it's a na- the the difference is if we're talking about eons. Or I don't think it's I don't know the definition of eon. We're talking massive scales of time, and now we have this hockey stick problem. So we're having to deal with it before our very eyes. And that what what could be more anxiety provoking than that? If you find yourself really attached to your idea of what a human being is, and especially if that idea is marked by uh, having two arms and two legs. You said anxiety provoking, but I heard you in a podcast uh, a few years ago, I think, say something like um, the current generation isn't lost or anxious. It's that they're having to come to terms with too much truth. Mm. Like the old institutions were dying. I think like 
it's kind of alluding to the fact that like religion doesn't really we don't have faith in religion as much anymore we don't have as much faith in our government we're seeing things with smartphones that are happening on the street every day that we were able to be ignorant of and maybe now technology is revealing new truths i mean do you think that's kind of what we're still dealing with here with the hockey stick problem well, first of all, technology is the connective mechanism that's allowing those truths to get distributed around the entire planet for better or for worse. And um, we're, we're having to confront all, you know, so many fascinating problems now related to that, which is you, for example, freedom of speech, you know, you, what a beautiful idea, incredible and, and perfect and, and, and really like, uh, shows like a deep love and, and trust in humanity itself that, uh, you know, we can handle all forms of data that where a human being is capable of hearing complete bullshit and, and, and not being warped or mutated or set back by it. But those ideas of freedom of speech, they were, it was coming out at a time when like the mechanism for distributing information was limited to the speed of the printing press. Mm-hmm. Or the tell it the the you know that was how you would get it out to everybody, or a bullhorn or something like that. You know the speed of sound, I guess. Like however you could amplify your voice, an arena, you know. And so suddenly we leap forward, and now it's like you can instantaneously transmit any message, you know, regardless of uh, it's how true or false it may be, or the intent behind it to the entire planet instantaneously. And so now it's like oh fuck well we you know wait how do we deal with how do we reconcile this beautiful idea with the undeniable truth that they're incredibly seductive manipulative very very dangerous people who you know i remember once just like reading the back of a death metal album and it was talk about metal man this shit was so metal on the back it said we made this album in the hopes that it will cause you to sink into a depression that will lead to your suicide holy shit yeah it's like jesus <laughs> all right i'm not buying that fucking album but i'm also curious it. yeah but you kind of want to listen yeah you know what i mean and and um <clears throat> so there all i'm saying is like there are definitely people out there who have malicious intent in their vocalizations that that are, are, are more than just wanting to shit disturb like there's people out there who just get off and hurting other people with their voice. And so how do you, how do you reconcile that idea in technology as it is right now? So, you know, these are challenges that we're all facing, but the, but to answer your question, the way that all of this is happening, the way we're seeing what was really going on in this, in the streets or the way we're seeing, seeing what really happens during a war, the way we're seeing all this stuff that was hidden behind a veil uh, is, via the you know the internet and and so yeah it's it's what's a it's like and what's interesting i'm sure you know this apocalypse literally means the lifting of the veil and Mm. that veil is being lifted uh by instantaneous access to information that was hidden behind like it literally in filing cabinets like you would have to break into a building and open up a filing cabinet look at an old black and white picture and shit your pants yeah like watergate scandal was like stealing <laughs> yeah. files from a cabinet <laughs> into a building that's how it used to be and it was very safe so if you wanted to keep secrets you know it was safe it was safe someone had to get through your your mission impossible shit to get to the f- photos or the whatever now 
it's like we're you know we're we have these massive data banks that are being shared by god knows who that are imminently hackable and so yeah it's like it's the lifting of the veil and we're you know yeah it's a great time i mean if you want to be anxious you can be anxious now you know you can find a reason to be anxious if you're looking for that but it's also potential right as much as it's scary it's also like you know creative power like i think about things like your you know your show midnight gospel this uh what is it the marshall McLuhan quote which is or um maybe mckenna but it's like we are trying to turn ourselves inside out with technology oh and, wow and and like yeah we're like the sex organs for the machines trying to that's turn McLuhan. Ourselves that that yeah okay that one's McLuhan. yeah and it's this idea technology that, or something machines are this tech what is it or the no we're the sex organs of the machine world i something, think something like, something like that something really like creepy but to me it's crazy that when i watch something like midnight gospel for instance I feel like, holy hell, I'm getting a look inside Duncan Trussell's consciousness. Mm. And that is something that I don't know if we could have done just 10 years ago, where it's as easy for someone like you to just be like, here, I have an idea. I'm going to send it out to the world through a microphone. People are going to like it enough that I can then get permission to turn my consciousness inside out and broadcast it to millions of people across the globe. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because I was when I started podcasting, it certainly I didn't think to myself, oh, I'll end up making a cartoon out of this. I, I just thought it was fun to podcast. And then it ended up leading to that. And so, yeah, I, I had no idea. And I, and I think that's one of the really exciting things about the hockey stick and exponential growth is that you really can't predict it. That's part of it. It's like subjectively, you're not going to really be able to predict what's coming down the, the tubes for you. And, and, you know, it, and, and I think the, the, at a planetary scale, it's the exact same thing. We can look at, at, at what's happening and some people like Kurzweil can make fairly accurate predictions about what we can expect, but also other stuff comes out of left field from like the processing power and you never, and, and, and the collaboration of various technologies meeting in unexpected ways produces modes of expression that no one would have thought were possible. I mean, I'm sure you, did you see that study they did where they put the uh, mechanical prosthetic thumb on, it was a, I can't remember which university, Uh brilliant study. They put a prosthetic thumb on people, a mechanical thumb that I think people could control with their feet like so a sixth thumb six yeah six uh, yeah a six finger so you got two thumbs now and so um they were studying like how does that work what what will like how long before they get used to it so people start getting used to having an extra thumb now they can do things that they couldn't do before just basic shit like carrying like plates to the table or bringing like a, a holding a coffee cup and something else then you know you can't do if you only have five fingers and then they did neural scans of these people and their brains just accepted that they had an extra appendage it didn't take long at all before there was like oh cool you got another thumb this is a new part of our bodies it happened that fast you know and so I, to me that that is a you look at that sort of thing and you think to yourself okay that's it's not like that study is going to just sit and sit sit there no one's gonna no one's gonna work with that i mean like 
it's like, are you fucking kidding? This is a, it looked like a simple device to attach to your arm. It didn't seem like that big a deal. It's you know like what I mean? Phantom limb syndrome, right? A little bit. In reverse, I yeah. guess. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, I would, and that's a, that would be an interesting question for them. What happens when the thumb is taken away? Do they still feel like it's there? Or do they feel some sensory connection to the thumb other than the ability to use it? Those are great questions to ask some kind of phantom feeling for the damn thing. But then, you know, and I, I've vaguely browsed through um, the research that is going into allowing people who have prosthetic limbs to actually have sen a sensory experience with them. I mean, the point is, is like, it's like doping. You know, the problem with doping is in baseball, somebody figures out a way to start taking some kind of shit that makes them more powerful or whatever and everyone has to start doing it to compete there's just no choice you have to until they figure out a way to stop it and then everyone has to stop but you know once one once enough of us start using our prosthetic thumbs and have the ability to play music that has never been heard before with the limitations of like <laughs> our hands or, or all the various things that we're going to be able to do it's like all right fine you don't want to have the fucking extra thumb go ahead but you're going to seem slower and clumsier. You know what I mean? So whether you like it or not, eventually you're not. Remember all the, I remember when the, when, when flip phones were coming out and one of my friends was the early adopter. He gets a flip phone and my other friend starts calling him. What does he start? He starts calling him like uh, instant, like instant access, instant access. Everyone has to have access to you. Huh? Yeah. You need to, what do you do? He's like, what are you on wall street? What do you need that for? We would make fun of him. Like, you fucking flip phone. Who do you think you are? We're comedians. What do you need that for? Use your pager like a man, you know? And then now we all have to have a phone. You can't, you can't really function in the world without one. And so this, this, I think we could expect that pattern to repeat and repeat and repeat, right? Until we become these things just covered in what various prosthetic limbs. I don't think that was something I was we were predicting necessarily, you know, I did, a, I, anyway. I did an interview with um, Stanford neuroscientist uh, Eagleman, David Eagleman. And he had a, he has a vest that has a bunch of like actuators all throughout it. And it takes sound in from the external world and translates it into pulses like braille on the body. And then deaf people were able to then translate the sound of the environment into um, words just by like feeling it on their body. And they hooked it up to Wall Street. They hooked it up to Twitter. They hooked it up to like all kinds of sensory information. And only after a few weeks, people started having basically like a new sense for whatever data stream that they were hooking up with. And that's a vest that you could wear under a shirt. I can't imagine something like that's not going to become mainstream in the future. Yeah. I mean, this is the this is the thing, like whether we like it or not, this is going to, we're tool using creatures. We, this is what we do. And, and, you know, you don't have to use the tools, but eventually you do have to use the tools because everyone else is using them and you start like experiencing incredible disadvantage. And, you know, there's a lot of socioeconomic problems there, you know, and this mm -hmm. is, I think one of the other big challenges that people are going to have to deal with is like, how do you, how do we make this equitable? How do you not create some super species of the people who can afford this shit, you know, versus people who can't like the Bilderberg group of cyborgs versus the fleshers.
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the pro that's like one of the big problems is right now when you look at classism, you're seeing like already unfair advantages and access to nutrition, medical technologies, uh, housing, you know, transportation, all these things that we just accept. I mean, now it's like we accept it. You're sitting in the airport and it's like first class can now board and you know, like, you know, like, we, yeah, you accept it. Or if you're first class, you get on with this like gross, whether you like it or not, you feel like some <laughs> prince yeah. walking into your stupid puffy seat. But <clears throat> like, so, but what happens when it's, you know, has to do with cognition? What happens when it has to do with, actual physiology and what you know what happens what happens then and 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 what happens when the cognition and the physiology i guess they're the same thing when they both work together so that the people who have managed to become the upper class are becoming more and more powerful more and more wealthy at the cost of other people being left in the dust mm -hmm. and is there anything again is there anything that could even be done about that or or, or you know i don't know I just, I, I, I don't know the answers to, obviously, I have no idea. It's just with a lot, when I went to Singularity University and I got lucky because they just had a presentation or something and there are all these grease boards and on them was written all these problems that, that, that we can expect to be coming down the pipes. One of them, again, this had not happened yet, but one of them was what happens when you've got infinite surveillance technology and people have been surveilled and then laws come into place that they weren't breaking at the time they were being surveilled, but now they're that's considered breaking the law. You know, it's going to cause a lot of social disruption. You know, and, and I think that's one of the things that people are having to reckon with is like, you know, folk when they were 16, kids are like tweeting, you know, stupid, horrible shit that they maybe didn't even know what they're saying. And they're having to like, they're losing jobs now because there's an eternal record of where they were at in their personal evolution when they were, you know, just, just in puberty, you know? And it's, it's like, that wasn't, but that's not, a, that's fucked. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. <clears throat> I love that. I love thinking about all the challenges that all the weird challenges that we're going to have to deal with as this, these, these various technologies start appearing in the mainstream. Do you think we're gonna transcend some of that more, greedy egotistical classist type behavior when we get things like maybe brain computer interfaces or like nanobots in our brains that let us communicate like do you think we're going to transcend ego and maybe become less attached to these forms when we start to see those boundaries dissolve well see this is the part like i think okay so if you look at the amount of unrest that appeared just because we're using a, a new a new kind of vaccine mm -hmm. and like that passionate resistance to it uh and the in the in the fear related to it uh and some of the fear i don't think is necessarily unjustified with any new medicine and any new experimental anything it is it would you should be you know, you're as a consumer of anything, you should be like, what the fuck is in this? What is this doing to me? Especially if you're going to put it in your body. Yeah. Especially if you're putting in your body, you have a, as a human being, you, have, you should be doing that with every single thing, vaping, diet Coke, certainly RNA vaccines. But if you look at a lot of the, 
the some of the fear and some of the nervousness over it wasn't was justified and backed up by the scientists that were releasing this stuff. But some of it was like, you know, this is putting magnets in our bodies or this is, you know, going to make it so our thoughts are being controlled by Uncle Sam or so or, you know, this is going to make us infertile or this is going to depopulate us or the if you look at the completely irrational um, way that people are dealing with just stuff that they could easily have researched. You know, I, I, you, I, I have, you talk, I've talked to some people who are like, this vaccine has only been out for four months. It's like, bull, no, it hasn't. Look, just look, Google. Literally, you could Google. It's like 10 years or something, right? Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. I mean, you exactly. You can look it up and see this has been around for much longer than six months. But that was like a, a meme that just got stuck in people's heads. And uh, yeah, something that's been around for six months, you would, should be worried about it but you need the research to make sure that that's true. It, the point I'm trying to make is that with every single new iteration of this stuff that's, that's coming, you're going to be, it's going to be met with the same level of superstition. So it might be my first question when it comes to the neural lace and the nanobots and all of that stuff is how much is that shit going to cost? Number one, that's going to be, that's not going to be cheap. To get some, you know, Tesla Dural lace, that's not, not going to be cheap. Yeah. Not at first, and that's the problem. Like, if you know, have you read? I bet you have Nick Bostrom's book, Super Intelligence. Yeah, and he he talks about the problem is that once one of the what corporation or a state entity hits uh, and has an AI that you know hits. I don't remember the word of you. They get super intelligence. It's going to make exponential leaps forward and it will be eternally outclassing all the other ones. So the first one that gets it, that's the one that's going to be it, assuming it's controllable, which is a huge assumption. So similarly, you know, the what happens if there's a, a, a three-year period between the first people who get this stuff and it hitting the mainstream? During those three years, you're going to have a small group of people who've had instantaneous access to all available, whatever data is available. I'm assuming it's going to be the internet and all the other shit that goes along with it. Sharing thoughts. I don't know, merging consciousness. So in that three years, you're going to have potentially some kind of new weird, you know, amoebic super entity consciousness consisting of all the early adopters. It's they're going to have three years to evolve into whatever the fuck they're going to be and what are they what are they going to do and what what, what power is, are they going to have versus all the people who are like i'm not putting that shit in my fucking head i hate tesla what the fuck you know and so this, you know what i mean so the, again oh, yeah. the, the 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 gap between early adopt early adopters and late adopters it's going to be it's going to get wider and wider and wider i don't know what that is necessarily going to look like but it's, it's going to be a little different than the people who waited to get a flip phone and the people who got it early, you know? Yeah. It makes me think often that there's going to be kind of an arms race between biological evolution or cultural evolution and like consciousness uh, elevation versus yeah. the technological, technological progress. And I guess my hope is that as we get some of these more advanced technologies, like I always have this idea in a book that I was writing <clears throat> where we have like a muse, which is like our onboard uh, AI that lives inside of our body and can monitor all of our 
internals and everything. And it's like, Hey, you're really stressed out right now. Maybe now's not a good time to talk to your girlfriend about yeah. you know, that really delicate subject. Cause you're probably going to be kind of an asshole. Like oh, you're, wow. you're, 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 you're going to be super angry. So yeah. save that conversation when your adrenaline goes down and all of these yeah. things and maybe stuff like that will come along and like nudge us into being better people. Uh, but then I definitely worry that it's going to be like what you said, where instead people are just going to get it super quickly and we're not going to get to that like cultural state of higher consciousness where we learn more empathy and, and compassion and all of these things before creating the technology. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem. It's like we there's no way. At least I have yet to come up with a way to make sense or to understand like a mass shooting. Mm. You know, it's impossible to make sense of it. It's impossible to understand. Like it's impossible to understand what that must be like to be the fam in a family where you have experienced that level of sudden catastrophic, violent, senseless loss. It's impossible to under, it's like, um, to me, it's like the, the cultural equivalent of when we hear about like black holes smashing into each other and it creates these like gravitational waves that reach planet earth. It's like a billion of those things happening or a thousand of those things happening. They're just the ripples of sorrow that are, you know, in our society because of those events. It, and, and, and why are these things happening? Well, I don't know necessarily why people are doing it, but I know the tool that they're using for it, you would, is a, is a, is a, an advanced technology that's designed to kill people. Mm. And so what's really ominous about that is it's like, you think like, that's just what they have access to, you know? So, so when these technologies start coming, it's in, in, in we're facing the double-edged sword that any gun rights person will tell you it's a double-edged sword. It also does you the idea here is that it's not used to like slaughter innocent people. The idea is it's home defense, double-edged sword. But the problem is that, you know, it is being used to slaughter people. So similarly, you know, you have a thing that like allows you to, you know, do a, you know, a scan. You're talking to someone and it's doing a scan of your own internal, whatever the fuck it's, it's recognizing your metabolic activity. It's recognizing how much cortisol is, is, is being released from your brain. Maybe it's controlling the cortisol release, who knows? And then also it's sensing the, the pheromones of the person you're talking to. I mean, this is a wonderful thing if you're having problems in your marriage, a terrible thing if the person who's trying to sell you a car is like scanning your biorhythms and adjusting their biorhythms to, to, to hypnotize you, to sell you a fucking clunker, or even worse, someone who's trying to fuck you, or even, you know, even worse, someone who's trying to scam you or con you, you know? So, you know, yeah. What do we do about that? What do we do when someone isn't using these things for humanistic, like to, to, to make society better? What are we doing when people are, are trying just to become hyper seductive, super manipulators to gain increasing levels of power? And like, you think that's not going to happen? Bullshit. Every fucking Congress purse, every Senator, everyone in the government is going to have this shit. You know what I mean? And like, imagine that, you know, like suddenly some, you know, politicians giving a speech and getting instantaneous feedback from all the other people watching the speech all over the country who have this kind of technology in them and have made the decision to like share that data set. So the now this politician is instantly hearing how people are reacting to what they're saying. 
their tone of voice and then modulating and shifting that to tune into what the people want just yeah. to manipulate them. Ooh, problematic. Very problematic. Very productive super manipulators. Yeah. I, I love the way super manipulators get ready. They're coming. Well, and- we've already seen it with Cambridge Analytica, right? Like, didn't they do that a little bit with Trump and Brexit? They, my understanding is they took the Facebook data, the, the surveys yeah. and whatnot, the phone data to see if you walked fast to see how anxious you were and like yeah. compiled all of that and said, look, the people in this community are sensitive to these fear triggers and these words, or they care about these things because they've liked these things on Facebook. So talk about this. And it's like subtle right now. But really, like you're casting a spell over those people when you go and talk to them and you know the right words to kind of use to puppeteer them. Yeah. And then what happens if you you, it's not even a person, it's a fucking deep fake that's Mm. like, you know, already under like is like taking on the form of someone you love and then applying the same seductive mechanisms to sell you a phone or something like that. I mean, clearly we're going to need massive regulations and right now, just looking at the amount of time it takes to make any kind of sea change in that regard, I, I don't think that the, the most systems are nimble enough to keep up with, you know, what's happening. Like any of the people putting out the like the Tom Cruise deep fake videos, they're doing this, I think, as a form of warning. I mean, they're trying to alert people like, hey, look, it's now it's gotten this better and now it's this better. And now it's this much better and this much better. So that people will act on it, you know, and 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 and, and uh, at the very least, like create real. Have you been on UberDuck, by the way? It's amazing. I, as a podcaster, no. I love it. UberDuck is just this wonderful um, website that you can just scroll through. You know, Eminem. If you want Eminem to rap for you, you just type in the lyrics, and you know, it's not. Is it perfect? Hell no. But is but it's pretty dead on. You know, when I was younger listening to Eminem, I never thought I'd be able to type in lyrics and hear him rap whatever I wanted him to rap. Yeah, that's you know amazing. what I mean? And, and you know, UberDuck's very good about saying you can't, you have to say this is a deep fake. This is, you know, you can't like, you have to announce what this is. But also, and I think the people making it are, are enchanted by the technology as I am, but also recognize like we got to, we got to start getting ready for this because so much of how we uh, like, we don't, it's not just that we like take in information. It's who the information's coming from, you know, and, and we trust certain people. And if we can't distinguish between real people and deep fakes, and then all the other stuff, the Cambridge Analytica stuff is being added to the situation, then yeah, we're going to have to deal with these hyper manipulative whatever ai golem things that people are using i don't mean to get all negative with this i mean no no i do have faith that that you know uh what is it martin luther king says the 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 moral arc of the universe bends in the direction of justice or something i do believe that but you know it, it we're just we're dealing with like acceleration here and we have to be more nimble we're not nimble. We, we're too slow right now in dealing with things like this. Everyone's pissed at the tech overlords, as they call them, for like, you know, like, because they don't know what to do. So you've got, you got, you know, Trump theoretically, like a, potentially starting a fucking civil war from tweeting. And, you know, it's people at Twitter or just like, you know, anyone 
And they're like, what the fuck do we do? We don't want, we didn't make this to start a civil war. We didn't make this to like get people murdered or beaten in the streets or, or killed or that we made this so people could connect. We don't know what to do. Pull the plug. That's all they could do. Basic, just fucking pull the plug on it. That, you know what I mean? That was, yeah. they were just trying to act quickly. They were trying to be nimble. It was maybe it was blunt what they did, maybe, but they didn't know what to do. And I think we can expect again blowback because you pull the fucking plug and now there's a class action lawsuit against them. You know what I mean? Fuck. God, I would hate to run one of those companies. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, we for, we forget that the people behind these companies are just flawed hum- humans who make mistakes, who get sick, who have breakups, who have family members who die, who don't have the answers to the universe. They're dealing with this omniscient super technology where they get to control the thoughts of an entire species. Like they yeah. don't have the they're, they're not equipped to make those decisions. The best philosophers and monks and spiritual leaders and teachers throughout the world would struggle to answer that question yes it's horrible i can't fucking imagine it it's like it's it's to have to be at the helm of any of those ships you know whether it's like one person or a group of people or whatever is just no matter what people are going to be mad at you there is no way to do that without like if you just let all right, we'll just let anyone say whatever the fuck they want. Go ahead. What you want? What do you want to do? You want to upload that uh, video of your girlfriend tap dancing on living hamsters because that's what gets you know. Go ahead. Fuck it. No, have fun. No, we're not going to control any of it anymore. Go ahead. We're done. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We're not going to stop any of it. No, go ahead. Go. Oh, you want to upload the fucking how to like use refrigerator coolant? Uh, you want to upload a kid, a video f- made for children about how to drink refrigerator coolant? Go ahead. We won't stop it. Go ahead. Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. Right? Like, then you do that and everyone's going to be like, shut them down. Shut it down right now. You can't. You have to control it. You know? So it's like, it's a horrible predicament to be in. And I think a lot of those, the people running those companies, they, are, they, they have like a, a utopian intent. Mm-hmm. They recognize what I think all of us who, you know, fall in love with like Kurzweil's philosophy, uh, they recognize within it, like, holy shit, this could be one of the pathways to yeah. a harmonized planet. And, and this really could be one of those ways they see that, that, and that's why they're into it. And then, oh no, oh no, suddenly they're thwarted by the reality of like, a massive, massive amount of people on the planet with massively different ideas. You know, here. so I'm driving down the street. I'm up in North Carolina now. Driving, I, I was, I, I got lost. I'm up in the country. I pat, I'm driving by this river. These rednecks, for lack of a better word, I think they would agree that's what they were, had posted, I don't know what was going on there. It looked like some tiny little carnival. There's a tent and a big sign that said, fuck Biden. And it was flag, fuck Biden, b- waving in the wind. Definitely not my politics. I would say that if like they knew I was driving by, they would probably like throw, maybe throw something in my car. I don't know. But I thought, what happens if I just honk and wave <laughs> like I like I like them? You know what I mean? Just out of curiosity. So like I honk and I waved big smiles on their faces, like little kids happy as could be. They wave back. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. That's underneath the politics. It's just that big, like, hi, you're one of us. We love you. But you know what? That's a sad thing. Underneath it all is just, we love you. You're yeah. one of us. But the problem is, we don't think you're one of us. So we want to burn you or hurt you or imprison you on both sides. You know what I mean? I think that's the, that's the big tragedy of it all. Somewhere underneath all the overlays and the, and the data apps running on all of us is just that general, hi, yeah. I love you. Hello. Can I hug you? Yes. That's it somehow. I mean, I don't want to reduce this to some kind of, you know, drooling fucking like, you know, compassionate idiot thing. But I do, you know, I do think beneath it all is really just that. It's just getting broken up. The very thing that could could bring that out, create the recognition, you're me, I'm you, is the very thing that's producing the funhouse mirror warping and fractalization of um, our identities to the point where some of us look like monsters and some of us look yeah. like angels, but it's all some terrible illusion. Sorry for the rant. No, it's perfect. I always say uh, one of my favorite quotes is everyone's the hero of their own story. And it's kind of just this reminder to myself that most people you interact with, they're doing what they're doing because they think that they're helping themselves, their family, their community, and their society. Like very few people are actually malevolent. You know, yeah. there's a few percent of people who truly want to hurt people just to hurt people, but 95, 96% people, all they, everything they're doing, they think it's righteous they think right. it's good yeah you know? i think it's i think it's 99.9 yeah it's so rare to run into a legitimately malicious like darth vader person even darth vader wasn't legitimately malicious find one it's it's hard to find i i know, I know they must be out there and, and god help them but in general yeah you're totally right but it's he, like the quote you said from uh, the Dalai Lama, right? Which is like when someone harms you, it, they're they're passing on the echo of harm that was done to them. It's like, an echo. Yeah, they're still they're they're coming from a place of hurt, and if that hurt could be assuaged, maybe they would not be that malevolent person anymore. Yeah, and and and, and like it's like a you're you're it's this, it's a rotten game of like hot potato, and it's like an epigenetic game of hot potato too, you know, because some trauma is apparently encoded in our dna and so like yeah anytime you're dealing with someone who's being rotten to you um it's it, and, and you wreck you realize like oh right well i've definitely been rotten to other people and then you look back at when you were being rotten to other people and you think about why you were being rotten well most of the time at least for me it's not even like there's a, a real intent behind it there's just some sort of like fear my defense mechanisms have been thrown up and suddenly I'm like, I've turned into some rigid, egomaniacal, vengeance-based demon thing. Because when I was like much, much younger, that's what I learned how to do to survive growing up. You're like the past trauma Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk. The example of like as every single one of us is so when someone's gone Hulk on you, you know, and you, re and you recognize that, you know, because a lot of times the stuff that I'm sticking up for myself for, I, I don't even need to do that. A lot of times when I'm like, no, this is the way. It's like, it's not like the ship is about to crash into the earth if I don't grab control of the, of the yolk and, and like, you know, get altitude. It's, it's usually more like if I just have the capacity like your muse device would give me, hopefully, 
to wait 20 minutes until whoever I'm like chastising is unhulked, then everything will be fine. And Sharon Salzberg talks about a lot, a lot about this. It's just this, it, there's a gap. It's like, um, it's, a, it's a, a simple gap. You just have to figure out a way to wait. Mm. You have to figure out a way to bite your tongue. You know, in Buddhism, they talk about this a lot. Just if you're angry, get quiet. You won't stay angry forever, even though when you're angry, it's the, it's like, you know, like whenever I'm like, you know, I'll have one glass of wine, but you have one glass of wine and you get like loosened up a little bit. And you're like, what the fuck? I do you have another one. And, you know, anger is the same thing. You know, it's like it, it tells you, oh, this must be dealt with at this very moment right now or the entire world will fall to pieces where usually if you just wait a little bit. It, it, things get better. God, I want your muse device. I don't just want it to fucking tell me to not talk. I want like my tongue to be frozen, just frozen. So I'm just like, do not be angry, be silent. Yeah. You have so no that, choice. That would be so wonderful. Or even worse, just make me start making ridiculous embarrassing noises that like you know what i mean something that self-humiliation or something just to like completely collapse that my ego because whenever i'm like getting angry it's like an ego boner you know it's yeah. like yeah forced ego death every time yeah this actually makes me one of the reasons i love i am hopeful i guess about technology is and automation for that matter, which is definitely terrifying in so many ways. But one of the ways I think it's amazing is I do a lot of study around psychology and neuroscience and trying to understand what makes us depressed and what makes us tribal and what's, what makes us angry. <clears throat> and it all seems like it does come from this place of like fear, right? Where it's like, I'm not, I don't have enough autonomy. I don't have enough connection with other people. I don't have a sense of like mastery or purpose or meaning in my life. And these things are like needs that aren't met. And as a result, we thrash against the world, against ourselves, against everything. And I can't help but think if we had something like basic income or um, something as a result of automation and people had time to wake up, start the day and have this sense of like, I can do anything I want today. I, I, I have freedom. I have food, I have safety, I have a community of people who care. I'm not worried about them taking my job because I don't care about my job. I'm not worried about the Bidens or the Trumps or the other other supporters or these people taking things because I'm taken care of. Like I, I feel like if we got to that place with basic income, maybe with automation, where people could step away from that fear, that that person that waves to the the fuck Biden people and they smile, that person comes out. You yeah. know, I think for everybody, that person comes out. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Like, um, like under the fear, like, you know, it's like something that peels back the fear blanket for a second. So you're, you're not like completely connected to whatever the story is that it's making you terrified. Some visualization mechanism. I mean, you talk about like, um, you know, what's happening right now. Um, Bezos, he's going into space. He has said one of the reasons he wants to do this is because he's heard, he's heard of the overview effect, which is you get into space, you see planet Earth, and you have this incredible psychedelic experience where you feel connected to all of humanity and the divisions and the, you recognize the preciousness of the, of, of the Earth and how incredible it is that this thing is 
you know, floating in space, pale blue dot, Carl Sagan, all that stuff, the, you know, the, the uh, co- cosmic, you know, orgasm that comes when you see planet Earth. I think this overview effect could theoretically be in technologically induced in other ways, you know, like, like, if you think of like the culture as part of the human biome, but at the very, you know, top of the human biome, for lack of a better word, or like, you know, uh, icing on the cake of the human biome. And then, and, and that's where all the division seems to be. But then you go just a, a little bit underneath that and you recognize like, oh, I mean, the cliche stuff, we're breathing the same air. We're, in Buddhism, it's called interdependency. We're like, we, there's no way to even exist by yourself. There is no singular anything. We're all so incredibly hyper-connected. Um, and, and, and once the story, once we take a little vacation from our stories, there's something really incredibly beautiful and, and I think comforting in that hi- hyper-connectivity. Like, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. I had testicular cancer. And I, and I remember like once word got around in my community that that had happened, people I thought didn't like me or I'd never talked to were sending me the sweetest just out of the blue, just this suddenly this like invisible network of support suddenly became vivid and and alive. And I was like, oh my God, this is what the universe is really made of. When my mother was passing away, she said, I feel like I'm being held. And I think that that is an articulation of a fundamental quality in, in the universe that people get disconnected from by being too attached to the story. And they don't feel held. They feel the opposite of held. And, and they feel like outcasts or they feel like they're, you know, or they just feel like terrified. Horrible feeling, horrible feeling. And yeah, so yeah, I think like there, there must be, there's surely will one, one byproduct of any kind of, especially a, 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 some neural machine interface could potentially be reconnecting with that like what in buddhism i've heard is called fundamental goodness or this fundamental interconnected beautiful aspect of existence did did your perspective on technology or the future change after going through cancer and having a baby recently i'm alive because of technology i'm alive like so i i i I, one of my balls has been removed and I had to get radiation therapy. And at the time, I'm sure they have something better. I was lucky enough to get to, cause I was in LA and my um, oncologist, you know, hooked me up with one of the most advanced radiation machines. Something that could pin, I have a tattoo over the lymph node that was inflamed. We don't even know if there was cancer there, but uh, we didn't, you know, you don't want to fuck around. And I didn't want, and like the surgery to remove the damn things is like, they have to, pull your stomach out so they recommended let's do this anyway so precise so precise so um anyway my so my you know we we might have another kid and my wife is like getting checked out like and i'm getting older so we're gonna save some of my jizz just to make sure because the older you get the less these little little sperm work so just to be safe anyway the uh, endocrinologist she was talking to and she was telling him we've had two, you know, healthy kids and like we got pregnant right away. Um, 
he was like, whoa, that for, you know, someone who had testicular cancer and went through radiation therapy, that is actually pretty spectacular. And that's because of technology. That's because it wasn't like, it wasn't like there were, it didn't spread into my working testicle. And it in because in the infertility is one of the things that can happen from that. And so, you know, yeah, my, this is why I have a lot of warm and fuzzy feeling about technology is because it literally saved my life and it gave me a family. So it's, it's hard for me to like, I don't have a negative feeling about this stuff. It saves people's lives. Like when I hear about the, when, you know, the RNA stuff, I'm so excited about it. My breast cancer took my mom. The idea that like this is going to save people's mothers, you know, and, and, and for me, like, and I do, I understand people's hesitancy. I get it. But for me, I will be a test subject for this thing. I'm 40 fucking seven years old. How long do I have? Anyway, if Kurzweil's right, I got a long time. I am taking his vitamins, by the way. I guess I'm a Kurzweil fanboy. But I like the point is this. Um, I, I, I want to be part of the thing that is going to. I haven't done, you know, I have a podcast. I love doing my art, but I enjoy doing that. But to do, to like put my ass on the line for something and, and, and that is potentially going to cure cancer and God knows what else, that is very exciting to me. So having a family, be like experiencing what that is like to have a family. And especially when most of my family has died uh, is, and, and to know that the, I'm partially experiencing this because of technological advancements you know, how do I knock it? How do like, I would be dead. I would literally, I would statistically be dead if not for um, some of this stuff that is brand new to the earth. Would you, would you do a brain upload? Like, and let's say five years from now, they tell you it's hundred percent safe. We can put you and your family in a machine simulation. Do you go for it? I mean, I think what's funny about the question is it implies like, but we're going to shoot your family. <laughs> well, you're like, you know, why can't I do the brain upload and simultaneously exist here? Like, well, in other yeah, words, sure. like it's the, is, it, is it like, are we talking, are we saying, because like, again, like that, the question, I love the question because it's one of the things we're all wondering about right now, which is like consciousness itself. Like, is consciousness a byproduct or is it more like we're like a sail and consciousness is some kind of cosmic wind that's filling that sail up? And so if we duplicate the sail, we could expect it to billow in the wind in the same way it currently is via our personality or whatever, you know? So uh, I think when I, whenever I'm thinking about this stuff, I, 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 uh, that I, I, I lean more in the direction of, of that version of it than like your consciousness lives in you. We're going to extract it out of you like some kind of like liquid and, 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 and put it into a, a machine. Um, but let's imagine that were the case. Let's imagine that, 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 that is, is, is what it was like your consciousness is nesting inside of a pretty like low grade computer right now. It's essentially like, we're going to put your hard drive into a much better machine. And, and, and I think like the answer to that is absolutely. Yeah. Let's go for it. I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? That being said, you know, if you get into Gnosticism and you look into some of these ideas, it's like, Jesus Christ, you mean you want to be even more imprisoned in the matter, even more like locked in? Is, is, is 
immortality, the last thing a person wants? Is it essentially like a self-imposed extension of some kind of cosmic metaphysical prison sentence? Yeah, you're you know? into reincarnation and karmic rebirth to some degree, right? Would that screw yeah. with that? No, no, not at all. I, I, I not at all. I, 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 at least from my, my sense of reincarnation. I mean, I think like, you know, I think a, a lot of articulations of reincarnation are poor. <laughs> yeah, poor, <laughs> or, or like, and or, 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 or like so incredibly reductive. Because you know, like I, I again, like I, I always refer. To the, is it a maxim? The maxim, as above, so below. I think it's a maxim, right? An alchemical maxim. Yeah. But um, also, I love Maxim Magazine, man. I'm like, <laughs> but I'm just kidding. I had to make that awful joke. The, <laughs> the, um, the, so I, I mean, I think maybe I've had past life memories, but I don't, I don't know for sure. It easily could have been some subconscious, who knows what. I have crazy dreams that, you know, if they happen when I wasn't dreaming, I might think, Jesus, is that a past life memory or something? I don't know. But so pushing all that off the table, uh, I think of my own life and all the various incarnations I've had in my own life, like, you know, the versions of me, obviously, when I was a little baby to now, like, I don't remember being a baby. I don't remember much of it. I was the form that I'm in now versus the baby form. It's two completely different forms there's some kind of connection between this me and that me, but you certainly wouldn't like, if you weren't aware of like human growth and how it looked, if you saw a baby, I don't know if you'd be able to predict necessarily it's going to grow hair and get scoliosis and like, you know, get weird. But anyway, I, that to me, that's in past life that happened while I was alive today. I have and never thought about it that way. That's how I feel. And then I think there's all these incarnations people have in their own current life. Um, so I guess, you know, that being said, the idea of, you know, some massive technological transformation could just be looked at as a, your next incarnation minus the problem of like death as we understand it in between the two. Yeah, I've heard of the soul described before as a pattern you know, thinking about it more as a pattern. And if you could copy the pattern over to another medium, you still have the pattern and it still has a chance to evolve. But it's it's like a whirlpool, right? Like in a river, the whirlpool is always filled with new water and constantly shifting and changing, but the whirlpool stays there and is like a presence in the stream. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. That's a beautiful articulation of an, an idea of this the soul from certain... I think from a Buddhist perspective, it's it's a it's like a momentum, a kind of metaphysical momentum that when causes and conditions arise, in other words, if you have you could have the whatever the particular force that you would need to create the whirlpool, but no water. So you're not going to get a whirlpool in water anyway. You might get a little dust storm or something like that. But if you have no dust, you're not even going to get that. You might not even know it's there unless you put your hand there and you can feel it. So causes and conditions, when the right things align, then a you appears in the in the universe. And sometimes the way those right things align is via dust storms. So sometimes maybe the way those things align is you appear as like a, I don't know, a rabbit or something like that. Maybe sometimes the way those things align is you appear as a person. And maybe sometimes the way those things align is you appear as a 
an AI. You know what I mean? Maybe that's how it aligned. But the 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 essence, the essential thing, the essential like force within that is is it that's your you-ness or that's the data packet that you would call your soul or something like that. So Alan Watts, right? Like as the ocean waves, the universe peoples. That's your yeah. moment as a wave. The yeah. universe peoples. And why are all these people trying to tell the universe how to people? It already that's the funniest people. thing about it. it. No, and you now you have the universe is peopling and the people are being like, that's not what a people is. It's like a, we people, but the way we people, it doesn't always have to be like a current version of a person. 100%. I want to respect your time here, Duncan, but are there any, uh, I'd, I'd love to know before we jump out of here, like, are there any aspects of technology or things that you're super excited about right now? Because we've kind of ran the gamut. We played a little bit with the some of the negatives and a, a lot of different things here, but like, is there something that you're, you yeah. think a lot about with technology right now? Well, you know, again, I'm 47. And so for me, like, I, I'm really excited about the possibility of slowing down the aging process or potentially reversing the aging process. That's exciting to me. I'm an old dad. Like I, I want to be able to be active and healthy for my kids and, and not like, um, no, not get all scummed, gummed up and slowed down. You know what I mean? So I'm very excited about that again, man. I like, you know, when you all reached out, I said, I love Kurzweil. I'm like a huge fan. And so, um, you know, just reading some of the, his research into this and, you know, sort of following some of his, like what, what they're recommending, it, it has had a, a big impact in my own like health, you know? And so I'm excited about that because I think that's where the, the rubber hits the road, you know, for a lot of us, it's just my, aside from my own selfish bullshit. Like when we think of like the, the greatest people out there, like the, the great actors, right? And then they get old, right? And it's like, when it's, it's a beautiful thing. I get it, so it's the pattern and all that. I mean, I'm not such a like transhumanist. I don't even know if I would call myself a transhumanist. I'm a, a person, a humanist. I just like life, you know? But um, it's exciting just to imagine like, Jesus, like what is like, what is an athlete that's 300 years old how good are they going to be? What is a tennis player that hasn't been waylaid by the aging process? What do we, what is a 150 year old, you know, professional anything look like that is still young? I mean, my God, they, like the, the, think of the, like the, that, the beauty of that, like what, what kind of epiphanies is a 200 year old method actor going to have, <laughs> regarding the craft of acting like what could we expect to see just in the arts from this sort of thing so i'm excited about it not just because it saves my own ass but also because just the the potential beauty that will come from it you know i mean and, and again i i recognize the problem of overpopulation and what the fuck are we how do we do it but i mean look at what the the authentic plans for moon colonies you know and like all of these things, when when you when you when you like step back and imagine that your own limited understanding and your and your own fear-based prognostications um, 
might accidentally be negating a very natural way that DNA expresses itself into the time-space continuum. Uh, you know, and and it's t- and I and I like my environmentalist friends out there who are like justifiably terrified. I think I'm not smart enough to be as scared as they are. I know a lot of brilliant people. You should interview Peter Kalmus, by the way. I, I've had him on. Have you interviewed him? Do you know, I haven't, but I've oh, he's brilliant and he's scary. And you know, let him talk to you about this stuff. And you should <laughs> be a good conversation about technology with someone who is like. You know, real like you know. I'm sure you've talked to environmentalists, mm-hmm. and they, and I, generally what they all share in common is like, great, great. You're gonna upload your fucking brain, great. All the species are dead. You know, they're all gone. No, they're it's, in the they're in the simulation too. Right, and that and again, <laughs> that has been like my friend Douglas Rushkoff. You should have him on. Oh, oh I've talked know, to him. Oh, one of my favorite conversations ever. He's amazing. And like, what does he call? He calls us, he calls people who are into the singularity and singular. He has a name for it, but basically he's identified it as a kind of nihilism, you know? And um, so anyway, I, I like, I don't know where I land on that scale, but um, you know, I, I think that like still in all, when is fear, like if fear leads to, fight flight or paralysis and generally flight and paralysis and if it is a kind of fight it's usually not a very good fight um then fear we shouldn't be working with fear and that if there's some way to like shift our consciousness so that isn't being poisoned by fear so that decisions that we're making or prognostications we're making or uh our assessment of the world isn't being poisoned by fear uh that, that can only be good. And so maybe it's, maybe you can take a vacation from the fear that lots of people are justifiably experiencing because of the data sets out there. Give yourself a, a time out from it and imagine that there is the possibility of some other thing that we just haven't fa- figured out yet. That, by the way, not to toot singularity universities horn too much but that's what i love about it is y'all are trying to figure out how to use this technology not so that i can have an extra time not so i can like feel what it's like to jerk off with 18 fingers you're trying to clean the water supplies you're identical going upstream what are the problems upstream and how can we fix them with technology Mm-hmm. And that's what I, when I, at least when I was there, that's what really re, like resonated with me is it's like, how can we use as, non, as of yet non-existent technology to clean water? Yeah. You still know, the to, focus. What's that? Still the focus for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me is that one of the great hopes and that's where the transhumanist and the environmentalists, I think have a lot, uh, a, a lot of like uh, common ground. Absolutely. Duncan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, man. Uh, is there anything before we jump off that you want to promote or let people know about stuff that you're working on? Oh, yeah. I, I just have a podcast, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and you can find it at DuncanTrussell.com. Duncan, thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. What a wonderful conversation. And now we're going to go to a short message about our premium membership experience and how you can unlock your special offer for a two-week free trial. 
Singularity's premium membership is your chance to be part of an exclusive, private community of like-minded leaders and changemakers who are committed to professional growth and impact. You'll have access to a constant stream of webinars, roundtables, and professional networking events focused on exploring the key concepts and trends of exponential technology, where you'll be joined by both your peers and by a panel of academics and experts. You will also receive research and insights created and curated by our global experts, which are designed to help members gather, develop, and inform action on a variety of topics and issues related to exponential technology and impact. For a limited time, we're giving podcast listeners a free two-week trial membership of this premium experience simply by going to singularity.org slash two-week trial. That's singularity.org slash two, as in the number two, week trial, where you can click try free to begin. You'll also find this link in the show notes of the podcast. And there you have it, everybody. Two free weeks of premium membership ready for the taking. If you've been wanting a chance to get a look inside Singularity, this is probably one of the best chances to do so. And also, let's mention the executive program we touched on in the intro. For those of you who are ready to take your next transformative leap into becoming a leader of the future, you can join us from November 7th to the 11th in Silicon Valley, where we will help you challenge what is possible. This is your chance to develop a new understanding about the role of technology in tomorrow's world, and you'll leave the program inspired with a new radical mindset and skill set that will help you start companies, change companies, and even change communities. You can learn more about this by visiting su.org slash EP2021, where you will be able to apply. Both the links for the two-week free trial and the executive program are in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Otherwise, thank you everybody for listening.